hello and welcome to a, a hiatus edition of the Warriors All 82 podcast. It will not just be a crossover with uh, Warriors Plus Minus this time. I actually have a guest on. Nate Duncan was kind of ahead of the curve on, you know, with Ethan Strauss on kind of where this NBA thing was going. And the reason why I wanted to have Nate on uh, for a few reasons, obviously, you know, he knows the NBA, knows the cap, but also... Nate, you're doing a podcast, like a daily type podcast on uh, the the COVID-19 situation? Yeah, it's funny. I, much like the origin story for Dunked On, I'd been thinking about, hey, what is a good podcast that's wrapping all this stuff up? And I realized that most people are neck deep in their own reporting on this, and they just don't have time to go through and read hours and hours a day of news and put it together for people in podcast form. So I I conscripted my buddy Ben Taylor, who uh, has a data-oriented background. He also, you might know him from the Thinking Basketball podcast and YouTube page. And so we're going through scholarly articles. We're going through all the worldwide news and just trying to synthesize it for you. The idea is we spend about 30 minutes doing that. You listen to that, and then you can go about your day knowing that you got the most important news. You don't have to obsess over watching your news channel of choice uh, or doing six hours of reading a day yourself because you can uh, hope that we did it for you. So, you know, this thing is obviously such an evolving story. I mean, you could wake up and there's like nine different things you didn't know if you're following it super close. You obviously are uh, six hours per day. That's got to be kind of depressing at times but um <laughs> what where are you as far as you know if spinning this back to the nba um less optimistic that the season's gonna restart at some point than you were let's say a week ago more like are you are you growing more skeptical i guess would be my question no i think the season can restart at some point it's it really is going to just depend on what is the level of commitment from the players and the league to really get this done. How important is it? Because you'd be getting to the point where realistically, I think to restart, you'd have to have players all in one place and essentially not having contact with the outside world. You almost have a closed ecosystem and same thing with the, the people who are broadcasting the game, coaches, etc. because yeah, you can test every player. You make sure that they're negative. They've been quarantined for 14 days, etc. It sounds like they've done a pretty good job of that. But you're still going home to your family. And then you're, they may be doing something. Those people that you might be meeting for business meetings might be doing something where they could be acquiring the virus. And so either we have to get the level of the virus so low in our society that we're contact tracing that you just you can feel confident that players can be walking around and not getting it or you have to essentially seal players off from the outside world and there's been some leakage of some plans to try and do that maybe having it in las vegas but is that level of commitment going to be possible for people uh i think that's that's the real question because otherwise you're just relying on us to get it totally under control in society and it seems like we are quite a ways from doing that yeah i mean and then you run the risk of you know you spend all this probably really time and money trying to like restart it and do the quarantine and get you know get everything set up and then does one test just kind of blow that up for another 14 days or even longer i mean i know i don't know how well you followed 
like some of the uh, like Asian leagues trying to restart and the issues yeah. that like, they've had. Uh, and some of it's that like they've tried to kind of jumpstart it back up and have had trouble, right? Yeah, it's unclear why the Chinese league decided to push it back. They were aiming for a restart around this time. They called all their players back. They went through a 14-day quarantine. Now they are aiming for July or I'm sorry, for May rather than April to restart. The Japanese league was going to restart, then they had some concerns among players about doing that. But None of those leagues are as big a business as the NBA. There isn't quite as much of an impetus. There's an argument that maybe the Chinese league pushed back because the Olympics ended up getting postponed, so they had more time to finish out. Uh, so I think those uh, are instructive, and certainly if you're looking at what the Chinese league is trying to do, they really started their lockdown on January 22nd, and they're aiming for about four months after that. So if we we did ours... Starting on March 2nd for uh, the NBA, you do the math from there, that might be a, a reasonable analog. But still, we don't know about this. Like, it could be that the virus resurges in China as they try to open things up again. There's already kind of little hints it is, you know, uh, just maybe sparking up again. But um, from a Warriors perspective, it's very interesting. Like, this season doesn't matter, the rest of this season. Like, you know, they... It, a lot of these teams, you know, think about if you're the Bucks or you're the Lakers or the Clippers or, you know, even like the middle tier playoff teams, the Mavericks, like trying to get Luka and that core, some playoff experience. Like it was so vital, like, you know, mid-March through whatever, May, June, however far your team advances, uh, was such an important time for the Warriors. It was such an irrelevant final little stretch run that was really almost about a month from being over. Um, so to me... The season restart, yeah, they might have to go to Vegas for like a little five-game, uh, you know, irrelevant end to a regular season if this, is, you know, even formulates. But what really matters to the Warriors from this crisis is the financial situation um, and what impact it has. And there's no way for either of us or really anyone at this point to know the full scope of, of what this means for the NBA. Um, but how impactful do you kind of expect it to be for the cap i mean how big a story uh and how big a change in everyone's planning do you think this will kind of uh you know make over the next you know probably what like half decade at least well i think a, a big part of it is when they decide to restart this is going to be a subject of negotiation they the cba actually says that they have to negotiate what the cap is going to be. So it's not going to just be formulaic. And I think the big change here is that the hope is this is temporary. And so I think the number one priority is going to be, well, let's not do anything that's going to have long-term consequences if we are of the belief that things are going to return to a relatively normal level within a year or two in terms of the amount of money. So what you may see are some of the things like are being talked about right now, where the players may get about 25% of their salary for this year put into escrow, and then we'll see, which relatively corresponds to the amount of the season remaining in terms of playoffs and regular season for the average team, and then we'll see how much money they make, and the players may get some of that back eventually or not. But, that's, but I think what they want to do is limit the consequences to this season 
as much as possible. Now, maybe next season, if it's shorter, it has to start around Christmas, then maybe again, you would see less money, but I think it would again be in the, uh, in the realm where you would have a similar salary cap, but then just money withheld from the players. Like you saw in that 66 game season in 2011, 12. And so the hope is that the salary caps would not change. Maybe it doesn't go up as was expected, but I wouldn't expect a huge decrease in the salary cap for next year. Yeah. Um, so from the Warriors perspective, they are, they lost seven home games, which, you know, that's, I think I saw something like three and a half million or so is like the kind of the estimation of how much uh, they get from per home game. So, you know, that's a decent chunk of money. They're losing a bunch of concert dates. And, you know, again, uh, they spent a crazy amount of money to build this arena, but do privately own it. Um, so that is money that they're no longer bringing in that, you know, I feel like every day I wake up, there's another email uh, that I'm getting that, you know, uh, you know, Celine Dion cancer, canceled her concert date. Um, so they're pretty much going to lose that all summer. Yeah. Those but, Celine Dion fans have a lot of money. Hey, I, I went to the, I went to the <laughs> Oprah um, show in chase. That thing was packed and like, it costs money to get in the building. So, uh, I mean, most of that money's going to Oprah, but a little, you know, a large chunk's going to the, the, uh, you know, franchise that's hosting that event. That's the Warriors. So they are losing money. Um, and I know one of the, you know, you mentioned different ideas that have been floated. I saw somebody say it's, you know, the thought of maybe canceling luxury tax next season. Um, do you think that's realistic? To me, that's the one that would help the Warriors most if you cancel those penalties because, you know, we're about to get into how maybe the Warriors should build this roster. And if the salary cap is, uh, cap is lowered, that just is going to jump up their luxury tax numbers. But do you think that's possible to cancel luxury tax? Yeah, I, w I would be surprised if it were removed entirely. Perhaps it could be the threshold could be bumped up to where everyone thought it was going to be. You know, give you a little more breathing room. I'd be shocked if it were eliminated entirely. Uh, yeah. Small market owners really believe in that. Uh, I've always felt that it, it it actually is something that helps big market teams more because they're the only ones who can afford to go over it. But there's still this belief among the NBA that it actually helps small markets more. And I think especially because you've got teams like Philly, Boston, Golden State, those are three of the teams that are really looking at exceeding the tax next year and those are all big market teams i don't think anybody's going to want to really help them out that much so I, I who knows we're in uncharted waters here so i'm not going to say that it, it can't happen but it would surprise me yeah maybe uh, like you said maybe it's just keep it where it was projected to be at um the ways so uh, that what's interesting now is so you know, you go back to February. The the Warriors just blast up the backside of their roster, trading Russell, and part of that reason in throwing Spellman and Jacob Evans into that trade um, was to duck the tax because they wanted to not be a repeater tax team, just a straight up luxury tax team next year, which they will be at this point. Um, but that was like the first hint that they they are kind of uh, you know kind of counting dollars a little bit. Um, it was nowhere near like the Tillman Fertitta level, but it was at least noteworthy. Um, and that, and part of their, uh, logic on that, and they said it publicly, Myers did, Lakeup did, was that they were going to go big next year, uh, which included 
if they could using that $17.2 million trade exception, uh, using the full, you know, taxpayer mid-level, um, and, and, and really filling out this roster, even if, Hey, the taxpayer mid-level, I know we're giving the guy 6 million, but it's really going to cost, you know, whatever, 15 million with taxes. And I mean, the $17.2 million trade exception, if they go out and get a guy that, you know, is earning 14 million next year, that's, with tax penalties, assuming they're still there, is going to be way more. Now, when you calculate in the money lost uh, for the entire business for Joe Lacob and just you know all the minority owners, um, that I think is thrown into a bit more question this summer. Like, are they really going to go try to get an eighth man by potentially adding you know thirty five million on their actual you know uh, dollar amount that they spend? We'll see. Um, where, where, like, do you, again, we don't know, but, like, do you think, um, how much do you think that's going to affect him? I, I guess we're kind of watching all these owners. How does this affect all these owners? Yeah, that's a, an interesting question. And, I mean, I, since Warriors ownership does see things from a business perspective, and they do want to win, but they also want to make money, and there's a private financing, I do wonder how much of their losses and the NBAs in general is covered by insurance. That's something that I haven't really seen anyone report on, but generally you'll have some sort of insurance for business interruption like this. They Now, they, if they do have insurance, they're not going to get paid right away. It'll take them a long time. I actually had my mom, who's a 40-year a veteran uh, as an insurance lawyer, on my podcast a couple of days ago to talk about businesses trying to get insurance coverage uh, for COVID-19, and you know that would apply to the NBA as well. But the NCAA, we saw it was reported that they're supposed to get about $200 million or so back out of the, I think it was 600 that they were supposed to distribute to their member schools from insurance. And again, they'll probably have to go through litigation to get that money. It could happen at some point. But that's, I really don't know exactly what their finances are and how hard hit they are. I mean, you mentioned the concerts. That was a big reason why everything was supposed to be such a big cash cow. So I think it'll probably come down to them thinking, hey, are we really going to make that much more money by expanding our salaries and potentially making a deep playoff run? So I think it's possible there'll be a little bit more of a cost-benefit analysis, but I would be shocked if they don't use the $17 million trade exception at a minimum. Maybe you might see more skimping on the... uh, on using the mid-level, especially because the type of player that you can get for $5 million, that's not as good of a player as you might get into that $17 million trade exception. Um, but I think they have to use it because it's their only way, really, to add a veteran player of significance. Yeah, all right, let's talk a little hoops, right? We don't need to necessarily talk financial ramifications of stuff going on. Um, I wanted to, and again, like the conversation we're having is like built into the conversation about the summer and the money and the tools that they have to use. But uh, let's start at what should be the beginning of the summer. I still think the draft. Um, I don't necessarily believe it's going to happen on June 25th unless they decide to cancel the season. Um, because I guess using the NFL as a template, they're going on with their draft, but they don't have a season to finish. Um, but I still think... Regardless of how they reposition the schedule, potentially, you think they'll still for sure have the draft before free agency? Because that, that's kind of always been thrown around. Like, hey, what about... Like, the NFL is doing the draft after free agency. 
Um, yeah, it'll, it'll have to be before free agency, I think, because you got to know how much cap space you're going to have. I think that's that's one of the, the biggest issues is, especially now that the draft salaries in this new CBA have been expanded. The number one pick, for example, is $10 million. So you need to know whether you're going to have that guy on your team or whether you're going to trade it or uh, what pick you're going to end up having. If you want make trades at the draft, etc. So I, I think that that's a concern. Um, I think that there's so much more changing that front offices would not be happy about changing up the order of things. So yeah, I think the draft will still be first. And I also think the draft will have to be after everyone's season is concluded because again, you just have to know what your team needs. You have to everyone's you can't make trades until your season is concluded. So so many trades happen around the draft. So it might be very quickly after the finals, but that's uh, that's the way it always is. You, you, you don't think the it would be cool if the Lakers trade Danny Green on draft night, but also are like, hey, Danny, we need you uh, to play game three tomorrow. Yeah. The West finals. <laughs> that, would be, that would be crazy. But, um, because the draft is such an event that you can still stage. I mean, we're, I'm very curious to watch the NFL draft, like how exactly, because, you know, they love it as such a big, uh, you know, event. I remember when they had it in Nashville, they're having like this like sky cam go over the crowd. Obviously, they're not going to do that, but just, you know, is it just like a Skype thing on ESPN? It's probably going to get crazy ratings too. But oh, oh, of course it is. But I mean, I've never really understood why people get so excited about the NFL draft because it's like, were you really watching this offensive lineman that you just took in the third round out of Colgate? Like, you actually know whether that guy's going to be good or not? You know, people are going to act like it. Yeah. But. <laughs> <laughs> honestly i've never been a big nfl draft guy i'm probably gonna be locked in that night i might get you know chips and dip i'm out it's it's the one sporting event of april really um, i mean I, I i might be watching just to see how, how they do it I mean, conducted, that's gonna be the yeah. most interesting part to me yeah for sure um as far as nba draft goes again lottery was you know it was around may 20th or so was the lottery i don't that can't go on if you don't necessarily have a, a confirmed standings but even if the lottery's pushed down the road even if the warriors still get what five games in somehow if they restart the season they're pretty settled in that worst record i, I think they're somewhere around four or five games back right now uh so let's presume they have a guaranteed top five pick uh, and if they get, you know, at least a 50% chance, I believe, for a top three. Um, you, I know you're not early in draft prep, or you're not late in draft prep right now. You've just, I think, looked at Wiseman the closest. Um, but if I just, easiest question, who do you think of the top names fits the Warriors the best? Because that will be the first decision they have to make of the summer, assuming the draft comes before free agency. Yeah, so fits the Warriors the best. You're just thinking about when you say that what this player is supposed to be, right? Like as opposed to okay, is he actually? I gotta really watch the film and say okay, is he actually gonna be this, right? But when you look at the physical profile of Anthony Edwards, that really I, I think would work out pretty well. His, his shooting is supposed to be okay, but his athleticism. Steve Kerr is always talking about force and athleticism. And the Warriors also have a bit of hubris, right? The issue with Edwards is that he's disengaged a lot of times. He doesn't know how to play. He came relatively late to basketball, late to high-level competition, wasn't on a lot of P1 
people's radars. You know, for example, I mean, he played in the McDonald's game and stuff like that, but he wasn't in the Nike Hoop Summit, which is kind of, you know, they have guys who've been in the USA program for a couple of years who come to that. He, he wasn't invited to that, even though he's uh, a favorite for the number one pick. And so I think the Warriors will think, hey, this guy has the most upside and we're the Warriors. We can teach this guy. Kind of the same thought that they had, I think, uh, in acquiring Andrew Wiggins. So he uh, he fits the best. You put Clay Thompson at the three, which he's fully capable of guarding. Then you've got a, another wing potentially in Wiggins, or he ends up getting moved. Played Draymond at the five. Uh, I mean, that wouldn't be your starting lineup, but that, I think that would be what they would hope that Edwards could go into that role, be a scorer off the bench early, and then get better defensively and as a shooter and could work with some of their other players. And then he, I think many people say he has the highest upside if they want to talk about the next era of Warriors basketball. Uh, he's the one who at least has a chance to be a big star. I like Wiseman uh, more than others. Uh, and this is obviously, I'm not sitting here and acting like I've scouted tremendously really on any of these guys. We got Ethan Strauss for that, right? But um, I I mean, Wiseman, you can't scout him very much because he's played, what, you know, 40 total college minutes. Um, but I, to me, when, you know, the Warriors have this two-year, three-year window, let's say two years before Steph's contract, uh, you know, is expires, but let's assume he eventually signs back. And I do think he's going to age well, um, but... But by the time Steph gets to 35, which is three years from now, Clay, you know, is will be 33. Draymond's 33 and aging, uh, you know, quicker than the other two. Like that, their title window remains now. So like some of the stuff they're weighing, and we'll talk about maybe trading the pick in a second. But uh, also just getting like an immediate guy that can help now. And I know Wiseman's young, just like Edwards, just like any of these, uh, you know, top guys are young. And there's an argument none of them will really help like win. Uh, next year but Wiseman to me at least could be kind of like a DeAndre Jordan was for the Clippers Um, and I know that's like a lot of people say that's an unwise use of a of a top pick like such a valuable pick and all you're getting in the modern NBA is like a rim running center that can like block some shots and like you know helps a, a decent amount that's not necessarily what you want out of a number one pick but in this type of draft like that's not that bad of an outcome right yeah, and again, with the caveat that I haven't looked closely at players other than Wiseman, I did see him at the Nike Hoop Summit last year. About uh, as familiar with him as uh, I would hope that you can be at this point. Um, you know, watched all the available film on him. I, I can't say I saw him that much prior to the All Star Game circuit last year. But for an NBA person who's not a draft person, I'm pretty familiar with him. I see your argument, especially because, you know, the old adage is, well, big men take the longest to develop. In my experience, that's actually not really true. I think it's it's more the, the skill positions that take longer to develop because as a big, really what you're doing is mostly physical, right? I mean, like your skill level is never as good as uh, the great point guards if you're a big. So it's you're more reliant on physicality, and Wiseman has that. You know, he's a 247, 76 wingspan uh crazy standing reach nine six standing reach that's like go bear so, type numbers right yeah i mean pretty close to there yeah i mean joel Embiid is probably the closest physical analog to him that's so, a pretty and, good and physical got, analog I, I must say that's <laughs> yeah i mean i would say he's got you know maybe not as much strength 
definitely not nowhere near the skill level and yeah. feel that Embiid had, the, the moves that Embiid had coming out of school, nor the, the rim protection instincts. But I do think that he uh, has, when you look at his lateral quickness, he's got probably more bounce than Embiid. He, he does have defensive player of the year physical tools. He certainly is not there in terms of his instincts. And generally players like that don't get to that type of a level. Um, but he does block some shots. And I think, you know, because of his physical tools and it's a physical position, he could make an impact right away. But the question is just, hey, a center, we've talked about it so many times. It, it, this is your one chance of drafting this area. How high of an upside can a center really have? Okay, yeah, maybe he has defensive player of the year upside, but I think the odds of him reaching that are low because, you know, he's not really a, a you know, natural basketball intellect. Um, so I do see the argument for him. I think it wouldn't shock me if I eventually am like, yeah, you know what, he would, should probably be the pick. At number one, he does have those type of physical tools. Uh, but, you know, I like him better than, say, a DeAndre Ayton a couple of years ago. He probably won't be as good offensively, but I think he can be better defensively. Uh, but still have to look at the other players, obviously, and see uh, who has uh, the best yeah, upside well, because that, that's the, ultimately what you're going for here. Yeah, well, the <laughs> argument against, like, taking eight and a couple of years ago was, like, Luka Doncic is sitting there, you know, Trey Young. Uh, you know, obviously the Kings went badly, and that's another argument. But um, there's not that, – that guy's not in this draft. So, to me, um, you know, maybe Edwards does, you know, blossom into an all-star – but if you again, I, I'm not necessarily saying they should only be picking on who can help them the most the next few years because you do have to care about the mid 2020s if you're the Warriors. Uh, but in my mind, uh, an immediate, sh you know, shot blocking center who can at least give, I don't know, you know, he could tag team with Marquise Chris basically next year, and he's just going to crush lob dunks when he's open because he's got a monster wingspan, and he's going to have the JaVale McGee Warriors days type space with Steph and Clay out there. Um, you, you could argue he would literally be the best rotation player of the draft guys next year. Again, I'm not an expert draft analyst because I haven't looked at enough of these guys, but just when you, when you hear and you kind of fringe see the lack of potential in the rest of the picks wiseman just at that size and yes big man isn't as important but it's just he almost seems a little more plug and play like to me than the other guys and maybe i'm wrong i don't know yeah no i, I think i agree with you the counter argument there is well hey you know what none of these guys are going to help them win a championship in the next couple of years and so just pick the guy that you think can help you Three, four well, years. From well, that, well, let me swing that to the next argument, trading the pick. And, uh, you know, I know you did a podcast, uh, it might have been a week or two ago, where you were, like, looking at all of the picks, all of the draft picks, future draft first-rounders that have been traded away, and you viewed, you and Danny LaRue viewed the Warriors, uh, you know, first-rounder next season that they have from Minnesota, we don't know where it'll be yet because we don't know where Minnesota, but most people believe they'll probably be like, I don't know, maybe a, a bottom 10 type team. So it should maybe be eighth, ninth pick, let's say, um, as the best of the acquired picks across the NBA. Um, so that's that's a value asset. This first rounder, while it's not in a, you know, no, it, it's considered a bad draft, it's still valuable to have a top five pick, especially if a team falls in a little, you know, what if a team loves Anthony Edwards? Then suddenly that is a higher value pick to that team. What do you think about the idea? And obviously it depends on who's available out there. But 
this first rounder, next first rounder. Wiggins is like a salary filler. Um, I don't know if a star will become available, but like how likely do you think that scenario is playing out where the Warriors can package a pick and and really jolt their rotation the next few seasons? Yeah, we don't know who might be available as of this time. And there might even be a low-key tampering element to this too, where, oh, the Warriors could trade for me. They might be interested. Well, maybe maybe now Bradley Beal doesn't want to stay in Washington. To me, it's difficult to say at this point, you got to see how the playoffs turn out, whether like a, a star really would be available. Whether for- there is a playoffs is just crazy. Like, you know, yeah, we, yeah, we're cal- no, we were right. calculating this all in. Like, well, let's see if, you know, Philadelphia really flames out. You know, what are they going to do? Is suddenly Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid, one of the two available? Um, what is, you know, what do teams like Philly do if suddenly the NBA is like, you know what? We can't have a season. We're just going to go straight to the draft. Like, they've had a disappointing season, but are they more or less likely to give up on that core if there isn't a playoffs? I don't know. Yeah. And I wonder what the NBA would do. Would they just at that point be like, hey, you know, we're going to have a truncated free agency or we're going to try and get teams to run it back. I mean, I think there'd be a lot of conservatism. Anyone can talk themselves into optimism about what would have happened in the playoffs. So you think that teams would be less likely to want to make big moves at that point. They put that team together in Philly with this idea that they're going to be one of the best defensive teams of all time. And they never really got to see that group play together too much. Al Horford was struggling with some nagging injuries. He wasn't that good. Uh, you know, it seems like he he or Tobias Harris would be more likely to be moved than Simmons or Embiid at this point. One other thing I'll say on the, the trade front, too, is look at the last three superstar trades. We had uh, Anthony Davis, Paul George, even Russell Westbrook. If you look at Davis and George, those were really two of the highest returns we've ever seen from a superstar. Now, part of the reason for that was that George was part and parcel with Kawhi Leonard. And so they basically, the Clippers gave up enough assets to be getting both Kawhi and Paul George. Anthony Davis, it was the Lakers. He wanted to go there. The Lakers had to trade basically everything that they possibly could that wasn't nailed down other than Kyle Kuzma. But our teams like, say, the Wizards with Bradley Beal, are they going to look at those and say, well, okay, we want that kind of return or we're not trading Well, even Golden State, can't really offer that kind of a return well that's where that wolves pick very much helps that's why i kind of mentioned it helps but it's still it's still not to the level of every pick every swap air just alexander danilo gallinari (laughs) you know two miami picks yeah well you know although the argument on that one is just the obsession with getting Kawhi was basically, you know, the Clippers were trading for two stars. Uh, right. The Davis situation, I mean, it was feet to the fire. LeBron needed Anthony Davis. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you, but I think I think the teams that are trading guys aren't necessarily going to be rational about it. They're going to be like, oh, well, that's what these guys got, so we, we have to get it too. They're not going to see those. The Warriors definitely have enough ammo if you just go back to, well, okay, what have superstars historically gone for, right? Like in the last year of their contract of Paul George or Kyrie Irving, you want to go back to the summer of 2017. Yeah, they have enough ammo to do a trade like that, but they don't have enough ammo to do a trade like we saw in the summer of 2019. But th- those are aberrations. So it'd be interesting to see whether there's like anchoring within the market for those last two trades. All right, let's move on towards free agency. And let's assume the Warriors 
use the first rounder. There's no trade. They don't do anything crazy. They have two second rounders late. I don't think they're going to use either of those on roster guys. Maybe they sell them off. Maybe they trade them for a future pick. Maybe they draft a guy that they think can be like a two-way player. But let's assume they go into free agency basically with like three to four roster spots to play with. How they attack it will probably also be dependent on who they drafted. If they draft a Wiseman, suddenly they're not going after a center. If they didn't get a center, which at this point I think it's more likely they do it's a very guard-heavy draft, a few wings. I don't know what you consider Edwards. He's kind of like a 2-3. But I'm going to assume they probably use that position, so they would be going into that um, summer, maybe still looking for some help at the center, particularly with the unknown of Kavon Looney. Um, let's let's start with the $17.2 million trade exception. That is set to expire July 7th. Um, the Again, this is not high on the NBA's agenda of trying to figure stuff out, but I assume, as I assume you do, that'll get pushed back to like, I mean, how would that how would that work? Would they just say, well, seven days from whenever we decide free agency starts is when that expires? Yeah, I assume they'll probably still have some sort of a moratorium. I would guess that moratorium will be truncated now because they're just they're not going to want to waste six days in between the seasons because they're going to want to get guys in off season and, and then be able to get guys back in for a training camp and restart the, the league uh, for uh, the 2021 season. So, but yeah, I, I imagine they'll essentially have a day to use that after the new league year starts. So 17.2 million, again, that is dependent on like the cap situation and the luxury tax situation. That's going to cost them a, a huge amount. Um, but, but let's go into this exercise, assuming because the last thing they said publicly was they were going to be very willing to spend this. Uh, they would again, whoever you're probably getting, it's going to be from a team that views who they're trading away kind of as an overpriced asset that they don't want. There should probably be more franchises. It depends because they could, they could package, for example, that Minnesota pick, they could package their own pick, uh, with, and then take someone in with that trade exception as well. They could even if they, yeah. So, so that, that's what they would have to do um, is, uh, you know, so they, they could potentially get a good player who's on a good contract by including some assets in there as well. It's not necessarily going to be an overpriced guy. Before I name a few names, is there, I mean, is there anybody you immediately comes to your mind? Like that's like that you've been thinking that's a good candidate for that. Well, one that came to mind for me, if Philly is gonna make a move and move in a new direction, would be Josh Richardson in Philly. Yeah. He would be an excellent fit with what they want. Makes about eleven million. Does have a player option at the end of the twenty one season, but they would have full bird rights to re-sign him if they wanted. But yeah, as a three and D guy, he's been a little bit overstretched as a primary pick and roll guy at times in Philly. But Warriors don't need him to do that, and he's a, the exactly the type of tenacious defender that they need. But that that might be the sort of player, Robert Covington type of player would have been another, like these guys who are making, you know, 12 million or so that people consider to be on good contracts who can play a role. Now, do they want to give up? You know, maybe it would also involve another one of their own future first round picks that, that they could attach to the, into, and take someone into the $17 million trade exception. That's kind of what I was thinking of. The other thing I'm thinking of, too, is if they can't find the right deal right then, they would probably just want to take on someone like, say, a James Johnson from Minnesota just to prevent it from expiring, basically extend the trade exception out 
by getting someone that, hey, you save another team some money, maybe even you pick up a small asset for doing that, and then you can use that player as salary ballast later on up until the trade deadline uh, if you don't find the deal that you want right away. You essentially extend that out. You mentioned an interesting name, that which I don't think is likely at all, but um, you said Robert Covington. He's in Houston now. He's still on that nice contract, and the Rockets don't want to help the Warriors out. Obviously, they'd want to keep Covington. He's like a huge piece for exactly what they do, small ball, but you calculate in the situation of, that's going on currently right now, uh, and Tillman Fertitta, who seems to be uh, at least publicly saying he's on sketchier financial situation than, than others. I know obviously his businesses are casinos and restaurants. And even before this all went down, he was, you know, he kind of has been a cheaper owner with some of his moves. Um, do you think suddenly maybe a Covington or an Eric Gordon in a sell-off are available? And even if they are, again, the Warriors are probably not the trade partner uh, that is most likely just considering their rivalry, but it's an interesting name to think about. Well, and maybe it becomes more likely if Houston really flames out for Tia decides, hey, you know what? Like, uh, I'm not willing to pay it, these big amounts here. Maybe Daryl Morey moves on as well, and, and Houston just goes into more of a, a rebuilding phase. I don't think that that would happen, but, you know, they let's say they like got swept in the first round or something. Uh, that, that then maybe things would change there. Oh, I got I got another name for you potentially. Okay. Uh, another team that is looking at a big luxury tax bill next year is the Boston Celtics. So Marcus Smart might be someone that I think the Warriors would love to have him again. Another tenacious you have to give defender. up a pick for him. A yes. One, yeah. Right? Yeah. That's one of those ones where they would absolutely have to do that. But the Warriors have the ability, which not a lot of teams do at this point, uh, to just take him and. Again, that's going to take a big financial commitment from them. But the Celtics are looking at, especially Gordon Hayward, probably going to opt in to $34 million. They've got Jason Tatum with an extension that's going to kick in, presumably a max extension in the summer of 2021. So their Jaylen payroll Brown's issues... Jalen Brown's about to get probably... Yeah, extended. yeah, he bu- he bumps up to almost yeah, $24 million next year from $6 million. So yeah, they are going to be in the tax almost certainly next year. It's interesting. Um, all right, how about a couple big men? Um, Kelly Olinick as a stretch five would be interesting to me. I think he's sitting around like 12 ish million. Um, but he, you know, I would say he's like Miami probably views him as a negative contract. Miami is, um, you know, kind of interested in their star chasing, right? And like just getting that contract off the books, though he's a helpful rotation piece to them. Um, I mean, that I could see that as a fit. Yeah, absolutely. That's probably one where the Warriors would want something to take him. Yeah. And he doesn't make quite as much, so your purchasing power, if you, again, flip him, isn't quite as high as it would be, right? If you took on someone like James Johnson, then you can go with 125% of his salary to take even more back if you wanted to. Another one that came to mind for me was Aaron Gordon, but he makes just a bit too much to fit in there, $18 million. But... If you did the, you know, James Johnson or someone else, and then at a later point, you can't just do it right away because that's circumvention. But if at a later point, once you have plausible deniability that it wasn't really part of the first deal, you could flip Johnson for someone like Aaron Gordon. Again, you'd want to give up an asset, but Gordon, it seems like they are just, they really want to have more athleticism around Clay and Steph, which I think is a worthy goal. 
Yeah. Uh, Dwayne Dedman got signed a, a deal that turned out to be terrible in Sacramento, $13 million. Gets flipped back to Atlanta where he actually had a really good season the season before. Uh, Atlanta just did it, you know, really for pick purposes. Maybe they want him around, but to me he seems very obtainable. I don't even know if you want that contract, particularly with the luxury tech penalties. But if we're talking about the need for a stretch five who can, you know, defend a little bit, he's a name. Yeah, that could be another one of these bridge guys with the trade exception where it's not necessarily about getting him. I agree with you with the luxury tax penalties. Joe Lacob is going to be like, really, like I'm paying this much money for this guy. For like but a stretch five that'll play 14 minutes? Yeah. Yeah, but the thought the thought would be to, I think he, he could play more than 14 minutes if he gets back to where he was two years ago is, rim protecting and shooting he's not elite at either of those but there's a limited number of players who can do that and that, i mean that's the other thing that they've seemed to be pretty obsessed with lately is having a stretch five because i think they they recognize now that uh draymond's complete inability to shoot means that they need that sort of player and they don't want to play him at center as a starter in the regular yeah. season other names I had down, Ricky Rubio, Thaddeus Young, and there are others that would fit. I thought Jeremy Lamb was like a, a name that would fit, but obviously he tore his ACL. So, um, yeah. yeah, Young is another one. He's just a tough fit offensively with Draymond. And Pascal, you got to remember, too. They're trying to fit Pascal yeah. into the rotation. And like so suddenly you have like, you know, three Powerball fours that don't really shoot threes. Like, that's tough. Yeah, I'd be interested to know. I haven't thought about this too much, but Pascal, in theory, could be an asset. It kind of a downer, actually, maybe one thing that really they're hurt by, in addition to getting to see Wiggins play with Steph and develop him more uh, by the season being truncated, is Pascal really seemed like he was starting to come on again. And, and at a minimum, maybe he could have boosted his trade value to be part of this move for uh, an established player, or he could have established himself as uh, potentially with him, Draymond, and Steph all playing together. Maybe that could have uh, proven to be a viable potential closing lineup. Yeah, I think he's done enough to be viewed as a pretty solid trader. I mean, he's making like nine hundred thousand dollars or something. Oh, sure. And you know, they they he's actually under contract very cheaply the next two seasons. They you know they did the second rounder and used some of their like I guess mid level money. Um, yeah, but if he averages twenty a game for the rest of the season, which didn't seem outside of the realm of possibility, then perhaps. Uh, things uh, might have been different, right? Like maybe maybe he's like really looked at as an asset and said like, yeah. ah, you know, he's kind of a nice piece. Like, so maybe he could have established himself beyond that sort of like, okay, you know, we're, I don't know if anybody is like, yeah, he's going to be the centerpiece of a deal right now. Maybe yeah. he could have established himself to that kind of pool. I did a long piece on their free agent options who, you know, um, we're going to move, you know, beyond the trade exception, they don't have many tools in free agency. It's the taxpayer mid-level because they can't hard cap themselves or minimums. Um, I, I did a piece that probably looked at know, 30 different options in free agency. The one that intrigued me most, I don't, I honestly doubt it'll be an option, but if Toronto decides, um, that they want, that they don't want to bring the core back, they kind of want to rebuild, which again, that's, we talk about these teams that don't have answers yet. Toronto, if they flamed out of the playoffs quick, you um, Masai Ujiri probably would have had more of a green light to like, hey, let's just move on to the Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Fleet era and not worry about the guys I'm talking about are Marcus Hull and Serge Ibaka who are going to be free agents. They don't have those playoff answers yet. They may might want to bring these two back. So these two might not ever be, you know, the Warriors can't even get to the negotiating table. But if Toronto decides at least on one of the two um, that, you know, they're not bringing them back. 
suddenly they hit a very tepid market with not a lot of cap space. Um, the teams that have cap space are non-contenders. And, you know, Abaka and Gasol seem at a point of their career after just tasting winning a title that they're probably going to be want to be on a contender. Uh, that I think it's, a, it's not out of the realm of possibility the Warriors could say, you know, maybe here's a two-year taxpayer mid-level deal, which is about $6 million a year, or that's what it's projected to be at this point, with the second year being a player option, so you give them a little bit of financial, uh, you know, carrot, and maybe one of the two would think about taking it, and if they did, I think those are two perfect center fits. Gasol, the passing, you know, wily defender that Steve Kerr would love, Abaka, the the stretch five who can shot block and has playoff um, you know, experience. I like both those as fits. Again, I don't know if that'll ever even be an option, but those were my two favorite names I saw. Oh, yeah. I mean, Gasol, uh, Steve Kerr just like felt a twinge of jealousy with you. Even In my article, him. I said he I say he would faint if they would. Yeah. He just, oh, my. Oh. <laughs> and isn't that part of the pitch, too, that the words would be like, you can come, you can start, you fit perfectly. And Gasol, the Gasol brothers, really, to me, seem like the type who would be like, oh, wow, perfect basketball fit where – you know, I got Steph Curry, and I'm going to be doing dribble handoffs and backdoor cuts that I'm, you know, when Clay Thompson cuts backdoor. Like, that is a good pitch to Gasol. Again, you have to also tell him, hey, you're going to have to take a decent amount less money. Yeah, and by the way, for those who are thinking the Warriors could get someone in a sign-and-trade, I know you know this, but they're not going to be able to do that because of the hard cap. Remember how they had to shed all, all that money even to yeah. get Russell in when they had the hard cap. This way, they're going to be so far over, especially you look at maybe a, a first overall pick getting $10 million as well. That's another thing to watch, by the way, is like what pick they get. If they get the number one overall pick, they're probably, you know, that's another three or four million bucks over the number five overall pick. But uh, back to Gasol. Yeah, that's an interesting one. The thing, though, I think is Toronto has about $30 million below the luxury tax. And Unless Gasol just really wants to get out of there, I would imagine that the number one priority in, in Toronto, they are preserving 2021 cap space, but they might just say, here, Mark and Serge, we won high 50s. Why not we just bring you back? We can pay you more on a one-year deal than anyone else because those those players aren't going to have other places to go for teams that have cap space that are also contenders. And it seems like both of them are really happy there. So. Uh, it would surprise me. I mean, maybe Serge would say, hey, I want to go start somewhere. If they're going to start, Serge Gasol would want to start. But it would surprise me if they didn't offer those players more than the Warriors could offer. And so it would really have to take those players being like, no, I really want to go to Golden State. Or Toronto just being like, we're just going to hit the reset button. At least uh, yeah. my, th- my thing is maybe Toronto decides we don't want to hit a full reset, but we don't want to bring both back. And then whoever, whichever of the two they decide on. The yeah. other ones may be free. I, I mean, to me, as long as they come back on a one-year deal and those players, they might have the incentive to go back on a one-year deal because they get paid more than they could elsewhere. Yeah. Um, you know, because you're you're looking at the mid-level exception elsewhere, the full mid-level for about $10 million a year. Then I, I think, I don't know why Toronto wouldn't want to bring them back because they aren't, wouldn't have enough cap space to replace them with anybody anyway. So maybe they would want to use their full mid-level exception and, and have enough room below the tax for that. But I, I think they would make offers to both of them. But who knows? But Gasol has been injured. Maybe he gets injured again. His market drops out. But he suffers a third hamstring injury. It, it could happen. Any other names you're thinking of uh, at that center position? Jay Crowder was the one. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
I think it's probably the best fit as far as like, you know, I think besides you could make it look, if you can get a Gasol or a, or a surge type to start at center, that's a huge boost to the rotation right away. But assuming you can't get that to me, the next most important thing is just wing depth. Um, and Jay Crowder to me, like, look, that's 25 trusted minutes. It's Andrew Wiggins insurance. Basically, Hey, there are, let's say there are nights. Andrew Wiggins just doesn't have it. And we've definitely yeah. obviously seen that plenty. He could just, play over Andrew Wiggins, or you could plug him in. It's basically small ball four and move Draymond to the five. Like he's versatile. Um, he, you know, he'll probably be in that type of price range. Like getting him at 6 million isn't completely out of the question. I know, you know, I put this out there and I, there was some Miami fans that are like, Jay Crowder's not leaving. And maybe that's the case. Maybe it's such a great fit there, but you know, he's unrestricted and you don't know how that's going to go. So to me, I don't know. If again, I don't know if they get to the negotiating table, but I think they have a good pitch to Crowder of, hey, come be a sixth, seventh type man. I agree with you. Miami is interesting because Crowder is going to have a cap hold of 14 million. They have 26 million in cap space. Maybe the room exception would be enough for him to want to go back there. They do have full bird rights on it, but you'd think they'd have bigger fish to fry with that 26 million. Um, the caveat being that they too are trying to hold out for 2021 space. Here's a name though, since you mentioned Miami, that I think would be an awesome fit. Andre Iguodala and the Andre Iguodala trade exception, huh? <laughs> I mean, I, I think they probably believe that they can do a little better than Andre. I mean, it, let's, yeah. if Miami wants to trade him, it's going to be because he didn't look very good, I'm guessing. But uh, no, this is a, a name, I think, a, as a free agent. Derek Jones Jr., he's 23, limited outside shooting skills, but tenacious defender a ton of length we've seen what an incredible dunker he is so basically what you would do is he would almost be the center on offense where he just rolls to the rim and crushes dunks and then defensively you could play Draymond at the five him at the four and you could go right back to having that switching group that again would really push their uh, the amount of athleticism that they have maybe that would be a potential target with uh their taxpayer mid-level Jones, he's on a minimum contract now, right now. He's not that established. I don't know if uh, Miami would want to bring him back because of the issues of them wanting to use cap space as well. But Jones, I think, would be an awesome fit because he could give you that finishing at the rim on one end and the, the Warriors have the shooting to make it work with his limited uh, shooting ability. And then defensively, he can fit into that switching system that they love. Another name, Mo Harkless. He'd be a step down from Crowder, but that same idea of just a wing depth. Yeah, and, and it would be a similar idea offensively, I think. He's a nice finisher around the rim. He's getting a little older, though, but yeah, I think his market might be right in that type of range that we're talking about. A name I know you have floated, Harry Giles. Yeah, that would, you think, would be a make-good contract. Like a minimum, minimum type? Uh, yeah, you would imagine. That so. Yeah, I don't know. There's not that many, to me, like mid-level options. Like, to me, if Jermichael Green opted out of the that uh, $4.8 million Trey, uh player option he has with the Clippers, but I doubt he'll do that. But he'd be an interesting stretch yeah. five fit. Um, Aaron Baines would would be another possibility. Uh, yeah, yeah, I had him on here. Um, Robin Lopez, but he's probably going to opt into five mil. Yeah, um, depends what happens with the Bucks. But you imagine if he he would like to stay with his brother, unless you know, like the Warriors can offer a starting position, which uh, some of these some of these teams can't. Glenn Robinson and Alec Burks as reunion <laughs> candidates. Are definite yeah, options. Yeah, let's 
let's see what what happens uh, with those guys it is kind of funny though where i don't know about burks i don't know how good of a fit he is really you could say because uh, they've got he was Wiggins, a better so fit just... on the team they just had which was like hey we just kind of yeah. need somebody to go out there and take 14 shots yeah uh, gr3 i think uh does, makes more sense to me yeah this is moving more into the minimum range but like marvin williams to me uh, is interesting i mean i would love marvin williams uh on this team I, I think he's worth more than the minimum personally i know he, he got bought out and he's on the minimum now but i, I think he's uh he's a very valuable player yeah they, uh, even at, at the tax pyramid level i think as long as he shows that he still has it in these playoffs he, he is a little older he could drop off but i yeah, like the optimism also, you keep saying these playoffs like they're definitely happening i like the optimism i mean it, it has to happen at some point right i mean they, they should when is the drop dead point where they just go you know what we just got to focus on next season do that i mean like would they do the playoffs in october if they had to i know the nfl run you know running into football season is obviously kind of sketchy well uh, football has a lot more issues in actually getting restarted than basketball does because it's just such a massive operation yeah I mean, we may not see football and they have you know they got to have training camps. They got to like football takes a lot longer to ramp up. Everyone's got to know all the plays and blah, blah. So I could see if the NBA is really pushed back that far, I think the NBA can get started faster than football can. Um, I mean, I think it could go into October. I think they really would want to have a, have a playoffs. Um, and I hope that they would, I hope they wouldn't, I would much rather that they just truncate the next regular season and have a playoffs personally yeah i mean you definitely want to reward the teams that you know this was their season this was the either the clippers the bucks lakers you want to crown a champ but at some point it might become impossible um any other names before i get you out of here yeah i mean there are definitely some of these uh, lower level guys you know your your myers leonard type yeah yeah myers i mean he again that would be coming in more at the minimum uh, they they might decide that a, a Josh Jackson, someone which is yeah, they, they I, I mean I think they're they're really pleased with themselves for like the Marquise Chris rehabilitation and GR three, and so they'll you can see them bring in a lot of these raw moldable clay types. Only Phoenix ones though. You go Dragon Bender. You go Alex Lynn. That's that's right. Yeah, I, I don't know about Alex Lynn. That would be uh, I don't think he really gives them what they need. Yeah. Nerlens Noel, Taj Gibson. I had. Uh, you know, Pat Connaughton could be mm-hmm. a thought as a backup wing. DJ Augustine is the uh, if they want decide they want a backup point guard that's like a vet. Yeah, a, old old warrior Kent Bazemore. Mm-hmm. Ethan would be happy about that. Yeah. All right, Nate, do you want to plug anything before I get you out of here? Yeah, I just uh, mentioned obviously my podcast Dunked Down. I do uh, another weekly pod with your colleague John Hollinger. We had a fun pod recently where we did a tournament of the worst teams of the decade that was pretty interesting and we're going to be spinning off that daily COVID-19 briefing podcast that's going to be called the coronavirus daily so look out for that as soon as Sunday night all right appreciate you coming on I will probably be back next week with another crossover edition with Ethan Tim Marcus so look out for that and I will talk to you then thanks